the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, modeling analysis predicted that the spread of this new disease would lead to an increase in malaria death. COVID-19 would burden health systems, prevent proper access to medicine and disturb prevention campaigns. More than a year later, where do we stand? Dr. Pedro Alonso, the director of the World Health Organization's Global Malaria Program, reflects on this crisis and shares his hopes for the future of science and health. COVID is affecting the malaria landscape in a variety of, of ways. And the area where we have put more emphasis is the impact that COVID-19 has in affecting the delivery of essential health services. We have seen this everywhere in the world, including in malaria endemic areas, where movement is restricted, access to health facilities is restricted, where the workforce may be affected, and thus the access to prompt diagnosis and effective treatment of malaria can be impacted negatively. I think we have seen this in the most recent events in India, with the explosive nature of the pandemic there, with hundreds of thousands or millions of cases, and thus impacting on the capacity of malaria patients accessing health facilities. That's perhaps the most obvious way. The second one is, again, the restrictions of movements in preventing or impacting negatively on the delivery through campaigns of other commodities like insecticide-treated bed nets for the prevention or indoor residual spraying or other forms of malaria prevention. Thirdly, the impact that all of this is going to have on countries' economies, and of course one is most worried of fragile economies that uh, take a major blow and thus uh, affect economic and social development, which are very directly linked to malaria. And of course, the economic and social impact, in this case, in better off countries with stronger economies, which are often donor countries, may also hit on the broader investments in bilateral and multilateral funding to fight malaria. These are all negative elements. If I try to think on positive ones, I think COVID-19 has shown that if and when the world needs to mount a major unprecedented effort to develop new tools, in this case, for example, a COVID-19 vaccine, it can be done in a very short period of time with massive unprecedented effort. So COVID-19 does give a good example of what the world can achieve if a focused and well-resourced and funded effort may mean to develop new tools that would help us end the epidemic. Modeling analysis have predicted different, more or less catastrophic scenarios for the effect of COVID-19 on malaria. More than a year after the beginning of the pandemic, where do we stand? Some of our perhaps most pessimistic scenarios last year suggested a doubling in malaria deaths by the end of 2020. We have all been learning during this year of the pandemic, and I think it was a very useful exercise because it raised our level of alarm, it brought the partners together, 
and through a concerted effort, we did manage the malaria community countries, most importantly, to be able to maintain key campaigns to deliver insecticide-treated bed nets, seasonal malaria chemical prevention, indoor residual spray. By the end of the year of 2020, we published our World Malaria Report in which we did recognize that the most, as you call them, catastrophic scenarios did not come true. But still, we estimated that there would have been an excess of between 20 and 100,000 extra malaria deaths last year alone. If you ask me today how certain are we about that and how precise is that uh, number, we can tell you that we don't exactly know. As you know, measuring malaria specific mortality is hard. It's uh, full of uncertainties. However, overall, I think we can safely say that we have averted and continue to avert the most severe consequences in terms of service disruption that COVID-19 has caused in the malaria endemic areas. And we have thus averted the worst case scenarios. Our effort now remains ensuring access to essential health services and thus hopefully go back to the previous situation, which let us remember was not a great one. We're still talking of in excess of 400,000 deaths every year and 200 million malaria cases every year. How has the worst case scenario been avoided? WHO very early on in the pandemic constituted coordinating mechanism with all key malaria partners. We convened on weekly calls. We constituted a number of work streams uh, that dealt with uh, research, with new therapeutics for COVID-19, tracking impact on the production and distribution of commodities due to the impact of industrial productions, be these in China or in uh, Asia, the restriction to movement of commodities. We constituted another work stream that looked at communications. We looked at, established another work stream that brought together our capacity to track data and model data. And I believe that this coordination, this broad partnership led by WHO, but having everybody come together to support countries played a key role. It did allow us to move in a coordinated manner, supporting countries perform their bednet campaigns or the SMC campaigns. It helped us avoid disruptions in the availability of rapid diagnostic tests, of the procurement of or bednets. Have one voice in the middle of all the noise generated by COVID-19. I think that those were the critical elements that allowed us to avert the, the worst consequences that predictions suggested we could be facing. How is the pandemic going to continue affecting malaria cases in the next year? It is difficult to predict, as it has always been, because we don't know what the pandemic is going to, to do. 
one feature of the COVID-19 pandemic is the difficulty in predicting its evolution. We're happy to see that to a large degree, say India had managed it very well and had avoided some of the worst circumstances, just to be surprised that the virulence of the explosion of COVID-19 cases in India a couple of months ago. Also in Brazil, the emergence and spread of uh, new variants of concern is thus very, very difficult. There's obviously the major hope that vaccines continue to be efficacious in uh, preventing COVID-19 infections and its different variants. And thus, we would like to be optimistic at looking at a scenario where COVID-19 circulation becomes more and more restricted and therefore has smaller impact on societies, on health systems, and, and thus on malaria. But of course, we cannot be sure. We have to remain vigilant. We have not seen this pandemic over yet. What should be done to continue to mitigate the impact of COVID-19 on malaria prevention and case management? The key on the prevention side is to be able to perform our campaigns in a COVID-19 safe way. In other words, having access to personal protection equipment, maintain safety distancing. That is a major part of our effort. Ensure that those campaigns continue to take place. The same applies to diagnostic and curative services performed through routine health systems and health services and health facilities. This can be done in a COVID-19 safe way and therefore avoid the sense that people have to stay at home, that they should not attend health facilities if they're sick. Let me remind you that at the very beginning last year of the COVID-19 pandemic, there were calls by some partners for people, even with fever, to stay home. We fought that vigorously because it goes directly against one of the key messages in the malaria community, which is if your child has fever, don't wait. Uh, malaria can be a very fast killer. Parents are strongly encouraged to the moment that they see their child with fever, seek immediate access to a health facility where the child can be diagnosed to see if they have malaria and if they do be very quickly treated. I believe that this can be done and it can be done in a COVID-19 safe way and thus avoid unnecessary cases, severe cases and deaths that would happen if parents of uh, sick children stayed at home without seeking care. What lessons have you learned from the past year? COVID-19 has been a, a test to all of us. It has been a test for the World Health Organization. It has been a test for countries and their health systems. I think we've learned how critical is having health systems that support uh, universal health coverage, that health systems are resilient, that we have an adequately trained workforce, and how um, infectious diseases are a systemic threat that will always be there with us. I think. This last year has also shown the power of good coordination, 
and concerted action by all partners. And that when we actually get together and really put all our energy in a coordinated way, uh, we can achieve great things. And finally, has shown the enormous power of science. When the world has felt challenged, there's been no limit to the funding required to develop in record time the tools that we need to mitigate and eventually do away with this pandemic. Uh, that is an important lesson. Thinking particularly of diseases that affect the poorer sectors of our global community and that are traditionally underfunded. Malaria, tuberculosis, HIV, neglected tropical diseases, the key diseases that keep and affect the poorest sectors of our global community. If we really get our act together, we can develop the tools that will allow us to end these diseases just like we will be able to end COVID-19.